Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Boozdar, and this week I sat down with Mike Wilson, someone who got into music by producing albums for some of his friends and even audiobooks for clients. Soon something that started as a hobby became a full-fledged career, and now he's a prominent musician who has toured some of the biggest stages across the world. He's also produced albums for some of the coolest acts and local bands across this beautiful, beautiful part of California. Enjoy another inside look on what it means to be a successful music producer. I grew up in Costa Mesa and uh, got mom, dad, and a little sister. Mm -hmm. And me and my sister are four years apart and both grew up playing sports. I was all baseball and she was all into soccer. We both, you know, rode dirt bikes and we got Mm -hmm. to the desert and... Um, yeah. And then in fourth grade, I decided that I wanted to play drums. Mm. I had a friend whose older brother played drums. You know, you look up to, yeah, you know, friends, older siblings and stuff. I didn't have any older siblings. So, um, I thought it was the coolest thing watching them playing drumline. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. My parents have always been big music fans, but still to my knowledge, like, I'm pretty much the only musician in the family. Mm-hmm. And um, they made me a deal. They're like, all right, well, if you get straight A's, we'll get you a, a drum set. And mm-hmm. I was just like, okay. So I got straight A's. And then they're like, oh, crap. Drum sets are really expensive. They're like, yeah. how about just one drum and we'll put you into school band? And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, I don't I want to play school band. I'll play ACDC. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, so they're like, no, we got to like – Get, get you to read music and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, all right. So they went down to uh, Mars Music mm. that no longer exists, but it used to be at The Block, okay. which is not The Block anymore either. Right. And uh, um, Guitar Center bought them out. but And they got me this little tiny snare drum, which mm. wasn't even a full-size snare drum because I had no clue. Yeah. You know? And in hindsight, I was like, it's just such a funny, like, kind of cute parent Right. Things I show up to band. Everybody else has normal size snare drums, and I have this little tiny thing. And everybody's like, "What, what is that?" Doing? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I did. I forget how elementary school structure. If it's like trimesters or semesters or whatever, but mm-hmm. I did like two of those chunks of time in school band. And I was like, "Guys, I really want a drum kit. Like mm-hmm. this stuff is driving me nuts." And they're like, "All right, straight A's again." And I'm like, "All right, bam." knocked it out <laughs> and they're like, all right. So, uh, went down to West coast drum center, which is also not there anymore mm-hmm. in Santa Ana and picked up like a used nineties, like Pearl kit, like, you know, super Dave Grohl style. Like, yeah. and, uh, yeah, picked it up and I luckily they had like an upstairs room at the old house and, um, put me up there and just let me just figure it out. And so, hmm. Aside from school band, I essentially has taught myself by like putting on headphones in the boombox or the Walkman and like just playing to a CD. Yeah. You know, this is before we had MP3 players and all mm-hmm. that. And so I just like try to figure it out. And then, you know, slowly but surely, oh, this kid plays guitar. Oh, this kid plays bass. Yeah. Let's try to figure out a jam, you know, and that started mm-hmm. kind of developing from there. And, you know, I'd always just play like at home. Like, um, but I was also doing baseball, like, pretty seriously i'd play like the regular season play the winter ball season most of the time i'd end up 
doing the all-star season and my mm. dad was always the coach. So it was like, wow, that's what we did, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was like all set up like, okay, you're gonna play baseball in high school and you're going to get scholarship and mm. go to college and so on and so forth. And was that your intention or was that kind of what you saw as your way, like sort of the, the best way to get to like, you know, being a successful situation or whatever, you know, was it like, oh, cool, I'm pretty good at this and this is sort of a good avenue. I might as well just ride this through. Yeah, it was just one of those things that like, you know, my dad had this narrative when I was growing up that like he was a varsity player as mm. a freshman in high school and then the coach wanted him to cut his hair and uh, okay. he said, screw you. And then he got kicked off the team. <clears throat> so it was one of those things, you know, growing up, my dad's like, cut your hair you know don't make the same mistakes i did and yeah uh so of course i have like long hair and totally went against the grain there and mm-hmm. um, had a similar experience when i went to go try out in high school you know people are like oh who are you because we had moved to huntington beach when okay. i was in middle school so it's just kind of like through that transition i started kind of like looking at it like do i really like am i in love with this is this something mm-hmm. that like i want to do because previous to that it was just um, you know, it's just something that me and my dad did and yeah, I was good at it and it was just, I was a baseball player, mm-hmm. you know, didn't really think twice about it. Um, but when we moved to Huntington, joined the surf club, you know, started playing some more music with some other people, started like my first like kind of actual band where we could actually cover songs and not sound like total idiots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when it got into high school, some of my friends joined this um, performing arts program. It was then called CRAD, which was um, Commercial Recording Arts Department. Oh, um, nice. Over at Huntington Beach High School. So it's like a union, mm. uh, like you know, district union uh, program. And uh, it was like awesome. You know, it was like yeah. the second year that it was there and like, brand new program and my friends said, Hey, come check out the show. We're doing like a Beatles record at the time. I wasn't a big Beatles fan. Yeah. And I show up and they're playing the white album live hmm. and I'm like, this is sick. Yeah. You know, how close of, um, friends were you with these people? They like, they were like my bandmates in middle school. Oh, okay. And then like two of them went to, you know, different high schools and I went to this high school mm. and it was just like, you know, like, wow, what's this all about? Yeah. And in the meantime, I didn't make the high school team because I mm-hmm. kind of like botched my tryout. Sure. And uh, so my sophomore year of high school, I wrote my dad a handwritten letter, mm-hmm. left it on the counter at night. So when he woke up to go to work before I w- woke up, yeah, he got this letter because I couldn't tell him to his face that I was quitting baseball right. to go play music, mm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was one of those things like even now I'm like cringe, like thinking I'm like, Oh man, but it's just like one of those family moments, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was like so supportive and so understanding. Mm. And, um, that year they had also, well, I mean, it was the year before they got me like a new drum kit Nice. and at the new house, they had built me a, uh, separate room in the backyard that was totally detached from the house that was soundproof with wow. AC and stuff. So I could just go play, Yeah, you awesome. know, and it was just mm-hmm. like the best way that it could have yeah. panned out. So went and auditioned for this music program at Huntington beach high school. Um, but I was going to Edison, which was, you know, s- same school district, but just a different high school. Mm-hmm. So my sophomore year, we 
you know, did the whole music program thing and I got to play like Sgt. Pepper's live. That's drums, awesome. You know yeah, what I mean? And then right. we had a show called Retro Fest and then it was all music from the seventies. Mm-hmm. So I got to play like some police songs live and right. it's like a full theater, like, you know, thousand seat theater. And that's awesome. You know, yeah. I was like 15. Right. And it was just so cool. And it was this after school program and, you mm-hmm. know, every, it was just like a dream come true. So my junior year in high school, I was like, screw this. I'm transferring and just going to be at Huntington Beach High School and be yeah. totally immersed in it. And through my junior and senior year, I really like blossomed into a better musician mm-hmm. and um, became like one of the like student leaders within the program. So like nice. worked really closely with the the teachers and the staff and the, the program was growing. Mm-hmm. We were getting a new facility towards the end of my senior year. Uh, we even took a trip to Liverpool, England, and we got to go play the nice. Cavern Club. Yeah. You know? And um, yeah, just like amazing opportunities and got to play some amazing shows. And then um, right out of high school, they hired me back to be a music director for the program. Mm-hmm. So like in June, I walked for graduation and then like late August, early September, I was like working Nice. The staff. Yeah. It was such a strange it is. Yeah. thing, you know, right. you're like not even old enough to be these kids teacher figure. Yeah. You know, you're like literally their classmate. Yeah. Like, like not a even few like, months ago. Yeah. Insane. And, uh, so yeah, I did that, like hopped in and that was like my first like job job. Like previous to that I pushed carts at target, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, right around the same time I started teaching like private drum lessons. Mm. Um, and then also right around the same time with, like any graduation money that I got. Sure. I bought my first um, recording rig. Hmm. Um, I had my senior year in high school had like really terrible experience recording like, you know, my band's first song or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like a different iteration of the band that I had started in middle school, but just right. kind of added some members, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just had like the worst experience. And I was just like, ended up leaving the band because of it. Wow. So when okay. I formed a new band through kind of that, like, I don't know, end of senior year of high school into like the beginning of like first year in college, mm-hmm. um, I was like, screw this. Like I got this little room in my parents' house. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna figure out how to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I really had no like engineering experience. I just like knew how to plug things into almost the right yeah, spot. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, hopefully not to store it everything. Yeah. And, uh, so recorded my band's like first EP out of the, the backyard room. Nice. It's all like this little 10 foot by 12 foot room. It's just a disaster to record in, but we like made it happen. We threw, um, a big like CD release show to old Tiki bar. It used to be in sunset beach. It's now gone. Mm. And, uh, this was after high school, like right when you yeah. graduated and you were working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like my first year of college. Okay. Uh, but I just stayed local. I went to Golden West College. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but right around that same time, I just like took my general ed. And within the first year of college, um, I'd already put out the EP. And of course, local bands are kind of like, you know, you network and you, you're mm-hmm. playing shows together. And, um, Oh, where'd you record this? I recorded it. Oh, cool. Can we record with you? So it was kind of yeah. one of those things. So I got like my first like client to record another mm. band. So I started recording this band and um, 
And this was in your... In my parents' backyard. Wow, okay, yeah. cool. With the uh, same equipment and everything? Yeah, like the same Dang. like little mm-hmm. hodgepodge rig. I was playing the Craigslist game hard. Like yeah. every day, like selling this microphone to get a slightly better microphone and right. making a few bucks here and there and doing the gear trade thing. Nice. And, yeah. Um, meanwhile, still like, you know, working at the high school and doing my community college thing. And mm-hmm. um, But, you know, I had like accidentally started like a business almost, you know? Yeah, for sure. And... I was like, I don't even know how to like structure this like hourly. Like I don't, I don't know, you know, to make it into a business. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'd already been teaching private lessons. So I kind of like was trying to use that as like my pay scale. I forget Mm -hmm. what I was charging back then. I think it was like 15 bucks a half hour or something like that for, for me. Like I was like, that's killer. You know, like that's some killer, but you Mm -hmm. get like two lessons a week or something, you Mm know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was trying to like structure it around that and, you know, it came time when like the band was like, oh, I don't know really if we could like afford to pay you. And I was just like, well, let's just like keep on going with it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of as a favor, one of the band members had worked for this company called Teacher Created Materials. Hmm. Okay. And they were in North Huntington Beach and they basically did like audiobooks and like interactive books hmm. for kids. Okay. Um, and it was all like former teachers I was already a high school district employee. My Mm -hmm. mentor was pushing me to get my degree. You know what I mean? And um, so I kind of had education on the mind. So he basically passed off this audiobook client to me Mm. and was like, hey, since we can't really pay you, like, here's a good gig. Okay. And they offered me like a great hourly rate to work on all their stuff. And so before I knew it, I had these voice talent people cruising into my parents' backyard and I was like recording Dang. You know, uh, audiobooks. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, and that's and I, like a professional quality, right? Yeah. It would be like a business that was actually. Yeah. Like they had a, you know, full on, uh, you know, very well established company. And they like hired me to geez. do the audiobook yeah. stuff. And so they would do it in Spanish, do it in English. And it was just such a trip because like somehow I was like, all right, dad, like, hide the beers in the garage. Like I'm bringing a client through. Yeah. You know? totally. <laughs> and, uh, Jeez. It was just so funny. And in tandem with that, it was a crazy year, but, um, I was still teaching drum lessons mm-hmm. and one of my clients, um, was the students forties. One of his, or yeah, one of his kids, um, was in the music program. So mm. I was kind of a teacher figure, He's like, hey, I want to learn how to play drums to play with my kid who plays guitar. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I would go over to his warehouse. He Mm. was an electrician. He had a warehouse that he would operate his business out of. And he had built out the warehouse section um, of the unit into like a room within a room to make it soundproof. Oh, yeah, cool. So that him and his kid could jam. Mm -hmm. He has drum kit set up. So I would go there once a week or so sit this 40 something year old dude down mm. and <laughs> try to teach him how to play drums. Yeah. And so through that relationship, he was great. He would hire us to play gigs. Mm. Um, really, really supportive. And I just didn't know anybody else who was a small business owner in Huntington beach. Yeah. So I just asked him, I was like, Hey, what does it look like to get a business license in the city of Huntington beach? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm thinking about starting a record label. Oh, okay. Cause I had just like, you know, I got, I recorded this band and then I have this audiobook thing. The audiobook sure. thing is kind of, whatever. It's not music, but it's good money. And I don't mind doing the work. And, um, and he was just like, huh, well, you know, it's like a hundred bucks for the license, but really you need to do this and you get a DBA, you need to, you know, file with the the state. Mm -hmm. And 
so on and so forth. I was like, oh man, well maybe I'll just like graduate college first and then, yeah. then I'll tackle that. Sure. And um, so a few months go by and I get a phone call out of nowhere and it's this guy and he's just like, hey man, do you still want to start that label? Hmm. And I was like, well, I think I just want to make records. I think I just want to like engineer and produce records. Yeah. Basically a recording studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was just like, okay, well, what do you think about renting two thirds of my building mm-hmm. from me? And you could start your studio. Right. That warehouse that he yeah. was in. Okay. And quick acoustics 101 or soundproofing 101. Mm-hmm. The cheapest, easiest way to do any sort of soundproofing is just to build a room within a room. Right. And you have this gigantic air pocket mm. and that's going to be the best way to do it. You know, you know, putting foam up on the walls and so it's not going to do anything. Yeah. So he had essentially already done that. Right. And I was just like, wow, okay. It's not ideal. You know, everything's square. Everything's got these parallel services that mm. cause issues acoustically. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow I <laughs> called my bandmates at like eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. We like met outside of a subway. I'm like, hey guys, we should start a recording studio. Yeah. And he's just, and one of them, he was a year older than us. He was 20 at the time. We were 19, the other two of us. Mm-hmm. And they're like, are you crazy? And I was just like, dude, we could totally do it. We have this audiobook client because yeah. I was already recruiting my friends to help me like meet the deadlines. Right. Totally. And I was like, dude, like we already make enough to pay rent, you know? Yeah. And he was totally hooking us up on the, on the rent. Mm-hmm. And he basically kept one office. We had the common area. that was like a front lounge thing. Mm. Uh, we had the other offices, our control room, the printer room was this like little booth thing. It was like an ISO booth. Yeah. Wow. And then the whole built out warehouse thing was already soundproof and we could just perfect rock all day, all night long. Right. So before I know it, I'm like renting a warehouse mm. and I'm like moving all the stuff over and like, all right, cool. And I, my dad's a contractor. He builds custom homes. I'm like, all right, dad, I need a I need a custom desk, yeah, you know? Right. Okay, cool. Do you have any like spare hardwood floor? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got some of that. Cool. The bathroom looks kind of terrible. Uh-huh. You got a tile guy? Turns out my like, godfather's a tile guy. I'm like, cool. So like, I'm Perfect. just like getting everybody yeah. like in. Jeez. And then before I knew it, I was like, I just started a business when I was 19. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And still had the audiobook client, um, still worked at the high school, still was going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just started networking with bands, you know, and just trying our best to like, crank out records that were better than going to the local rehearsal studio and, yeah. um, you know, put in an insane amount of hours to make sure it was right. Even though sure. you're probably making, you know, pennies on the hour at that mm-hmm. point. But, um, yeah. And, uh, that's how we started maps, which is my business. And, nice. uh, so we're actually sitting in maps 2.0 now. So this is our okay. second location. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's kind of fast forward to relatively current. Um, you know, we were there for about four years mm-hmm. and then unfortunately I had a falling out with the guy that we were subleasing it from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those things I was like, okay, well I kept up my part of the deal and the deal was we're going to keep this all off the books. Mm-hmm. And eventually we had the whole space and he's like, you need to tear it down and put it back to normal before you move out. Mm. So even though we had a big falling out and I, you know, unfortunately haven't really spoken to him much since, um, you know, we, we 
tore down the whole build out, which was super sad and yeah. restored it back to a warehouse. Um, but then I was freelancing out of other local studios for about a year. And then through that kind of network, um, I got a call from another guy named Mike, um, mm, who actually built this studio. Nice. And, um, it was originally called artisans label and I've been here for about five years, like we talked about earlier mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. And now we're, we're partners in the business and we've been trying to keep this place alive. Yeah. Nice, man. I think, uh, with everything, there's a couple parts that I want to like go into one thing that I think is interesting. I would, uh, wonder what is the feeling or the difference in comparison in feelings of like getting out there and playing athletics and sports and being passionate and having a drive for it and seeing success in that. How did that make you feel as opposed to when you were playing on stage and performing in front of everyone? What was the difference in feelings and why did you end up going with music instead of athletics? Um, I think ultimately it was just more of the creative outlet thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I never really grew up with like a music mentor prior to going to high school. And, uh, you know, I just, it was just like such a pure sense of like, you know, like when we, when I were ki we were kids, like our parents would crank up the radio, like 95.5 KLOS mm -hmm. and, quiz us on like what band this was and what song it was, oh, wow. Okay, you know, so and it's always been a musical. Yeah. Like house like, that you were growing up. And in. Yeah. And just something that's like brings you joy and you know what I mean? Music feels mm -hmm. good. It right. makes us feel great. And, um, I think departing from sports, like I was still always athletic, like, you know, surfing and we still went out riding a bunch and, um, you know, camping and hiking and, but I just like couldn't commit to like the full team sport thing, the practices, mm -hmm. the so on and so forth. But, um, I think I brought that same discipline and that same mentality into sure. music. You know, once I started kind of getting more into the professional environment, mm -hmm. which was great about that program. Um, that's kind of how it was structured. You know, you spend like a God awful amount of time rehearsing something yeah. To right. perfection, which is just like a baseball team. You know, you want to be a well-oiled totally. team, mm -hmm. just like you want to be with a band. But ultimately, you know, it's, I think it's selfishly like just way more fulfilling mm. when you're playing on stage and you're performing for people and you're making them sure feel great. Yeah. You know, like, and that's, that's really what it is for me is just connecting with people on mm -hmm. a totally like emotional unspoken level, you know? Right. Um, and with baseball, it's like you could still tap into a lot of those same things. But, you know, you find yourself like getting discouraged, like competitively or, mm -hmm. you know, it's a win or lose no matter what. And, you know, it's just I didn't I didn't really go to music for that. And I think in like that formative time in my life, like, you know, when you're in your early mid teens, um, music was just like what I needed to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it's funny, you know, even to like to this day, I'm like, man, I just would love to like be on a softball team with my pops. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Just because right. I loved it. Yeah. It just music got a hold of me mm -hmm. <laughs> and totally. took me, took me that direction, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. What is, uh, I guess, what's the difference in feeling when it comes to producing a record as opposed to performing? I know you initially went into 
music to perform, right? To be on stage and everything. And then it became something where you got really stoked on producing and making records and everything. Um, do you have a preference or is it that you like love both of them for different reasons? And, or is there one that you're striving to like, Oh, eventually I just want to be a touring musician or just a producer. Yeah. I think being a drummer, I was like always dependent on other members of the Mm, band. Yeah. Um, and any like bands that, that fell apart, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I'm sure they would have a totally different perspective, but I always felt like I was like, man, like I'm so into this. And Mm -hmm. like, the songwriter has a meltdown or like a disagreement with the direction the band is going or, or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, or like that, you know, one time I quit a band, it was just like, I don't align with like where this is going. Sure. And that's kind of like, you know, you're kind of dependent on other people to, to make it a success, to be a a drummer in a band, you know? Mm. Um, like it's not that often that you, you see a drummer being, you know, the leader or the front man of, yeah. or front woman, um, you know, of a, of a project, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not unheard of, but, um, so I think with that void of like not being a primary songwriter, I would want to be really involved in the bands and the projects I was working in. But then I kind of figured out that like, I couldn't portray my ideas until we got them mm-hmm. on tape, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be like moving them around and recording and just cool. What if we like tried this pre-chorus like this, or if we chopped a couple bars and before I knew it, I was kind of like working on arrangements like, yeah. And trying to work with that. And like, you know, it helped with like some lyrical stuff here, some melodic stuff, but like I found myself just really attracted to people who wrote great songs mm, mm-hmm. and then I would take it a step further than just playing, you Got know? It. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of like where I leaned more into focusing on production Mm, mm because I'm a fine drummer and all, but I really felt like I had yet to find somebody locally that I wanted to make a record with Mm. from like an engineering production standpoint. Sure. So I was trying to like fill that void that I felt like the local music scene didn't have, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to be attentive and try to really, help somebody get their record from a demo all the way to something that they're in love with, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And just be, just be that person. So I put a lot more energy, you know, into operating that way. Plus it's been more, uh, stable financially, right? <laughs> you know, to, totally. uh, to record as opposed to like, you know, playing gigs. Mm-hmm. But I just, I feel like I've had a really fortunate, um, community to, to be a part of where like I still get to play drums with plenty of bands. Mm-hmm. I, I'm playing like five projects right now. And like, yeah, obviously with COVID <laughs> nobody's right. playing many gigs at all, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I feel like I'm always able to play plenty of drums mm-hmm. and it just kind of falls into like, oh, I'm an engineer and I make records as well. Yeah. Um, but kind of like, Parallel to that, I guess one thing I kind of skipped over was like kind of through all that same year, I started doing a lot of live sound as well. Okay. So I was doing like some corporate gigs, you know, like big chalk fundraisers or... Like performing? Um, no, I'll just engineer, just do audio. Um, oh, okay. How does that look? Like... Um, so it would just be like a typical like, there's like a ballroom banquet thing, you know oh, what I mean? Okay. And then we'll yeah, like yeah. bring in more often than not, I'll be helping with lighting or video or staging mm-hmm. or whatever as well. Cause it's kind of a 
team sport and, yeah. you know, a production crew. But, uh, yeah. So, and that was like great money mm-hmm. and it was just like you show up and you work however long of a day and you get a flat day rate. It's like, cool. Wham, yeah. bam, you right. know, and I've gotten, you know, some great opportunities through doing that stuff as well. But, um, you know, it's kind of those three things that I've always been trying to balance, like being a musician first and foremost and letting that inform anything I do engineering mm-hmm. wise, whether it's on a record or live. Got it. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I just feel like I have a lot more to offer other people, mm-hmm. um, through this kind of like multi faceted, uh, viewpoint, you right. know, um, yeah. I always joke like when my bands that I play drums in are like asking me to help out with engineering, I'm like, man, I'm off the clock. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But you know, it's just, I try my best just to, to be useful for mm-hmm. everything music that I can be. Right. You know, how did, um, was it kind of just like an upward trajectory from there after you kind of started the business and did it just grow and expand? What were some of the, I guess, first major like obstacles that you had to overcome to kind of get where you are right now? Mm. I think it was that like balancing act, like obviously going to college, I ended up transferring to Cal State Long Beach and ended mm-hmm. up getting a degree in English education actually. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Totally unintentional. It was one of those things. It was like time to transfer. Yeah. It was like the last day to transfer school. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I first time I ever saw a counselor and counselor's like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I have no clue. And he like looked at my transcript and all these classes I had taken. He's like, well, it looks like you've aced like all of your English classes. You ever thought about that? I was like, sure. sounds good to me. Yeah. And like, just like transferred on a, right. on an English degree plan and then just knocked that out. And I had a great time in college, but it was so different from, you know, I wasn't taking music classes. I wasn't taking engineering classes. I wasn't taking business classes, but meanwhile I was doing all of those things in parallel. And I just wanted to go to school purely for myself and my own education. And, Mm. um, so obviously getting around that obstacle, just the time commitment, it really wasn't that challenging. I just, I've always kind of had like a pretty straightforward, like healthy perspective on school. You know, it's just Mm. like, not here to really like socialize and like go to the frat parties or, you know what I mean? Right. Like I was yeah. just like show up to class. Cool. You guys want to grab a beer after class? Sweet. And then just cruise the gig, you right. know? And totally. then, um, yeah. And so it's just like stacked, you know, surf in the morning, go to class mm-hmm. in the afternoon, go over to the high school, help out with the high school. Yeah. And then that night, like play a gig or go to the studio. Nice. And it was just kind of this crazy thing, but I think it was just hard to grow the business as far as the the studio, um, mm-hmm. when I would get great opportunities elsewhere, you know, it's like, Hey, do you want to go do a string of like, I don't know, 10 corporate gigs throughout this next month? And it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, can't deny that money. And then meanwhile, right. I use that money to pay the bills at the studio, but mm-hmm. you're not nurturing the studio business environment. Got it. Um, okay. so I did, like I said, recruit my two band members and we were like mm-hmm. equal partners, in the business and I leaned on them a lot to help me out and they are still, you know, my best of friends and they're in our wedding coming up and, yeah, you know, so it's great to, uh, to have those kind of people in your life and they, they were a big help. But then, uh, one of them, his name's Gary. He, uh, he transferred to, uh, Cal Poly slow mm. and he became an electrical engineer and he's just like, Hey man, like I'm moving to San Diego and up in the Bay area. It's like, yeah, can't really participate in the studio. So 
we kept um, kept him on as a partner, but you know he wasn't managing the the business and. Mm-hmm. Me and our other partner, Ian, were kind of hunkering down doing that. And then Ian had to go get a real job. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, okay, well, here I am doing this. And then really what kind of helped grow the business was um, we started a new band once Gary left. Mm-hmm. And um, Gary was still a part of the band when he was in town. But okay. it was one of those things like, hey, man, we're not going to make you yeah, you know, commit to this thing like long distance style. Mm-hmm. And uh, we... I mean, we're still a band. It's called Gardner's Logic. And yeah. uh, we were just able to play a bunch of really great shows with a lot of really good friends. And then through that, um, I reconnected some other friends that I had started that band with back in middle school. Oh, nice. And, That's cool. Um, heard those songs and I was like, wow, like I need to help you guys out with these. <laughs> Fired the drummer. All of a sudden I'm playing wow. drums on it. Okay. We do that record. That record did pretty well locally. Mm-hmm. The first Gardner's record did pretty well locally. So I was in these two like local bands that were playing out, Right. you know, one or two nights a week. Mm-hmm. And we would, you know, slowly kind of start playing more shows at like back then it was called Detroit bar, you know, Costa Mesa, or we would play like show at the galaxy or chain reaction or mm-hmm. evocal used to be in Costa Mesa where you just play wherever. And you know, whenever we could, we used to play the Roxy up in LA. Nice. Yeah. Um, and just trying to hustle it. And then it's just through that, you know, it's like we have conversations like this with other bands and mm-hmm. Hey, we own a studio, like come, come yeah. by for a beer and let's, let's check it out. And then we slowly just cool. Let's record this band. Let's record that band and um, kept it local. And so before we knew it, we were, a part of most local records in one way or another. Sure. When you say, um, um, when you said the local music scene, how did the local music scene look when you first kind of went into music and what was your view on it? And then when you, I guess at that, the point that we're talking about right now and you were like making friends and kind of helping grow and expand and you were kind of a vital part of the local music scene. How did that look? Did you go into it initially going, Oh, you know, I want to make an impact and disrupt it in some way? Or did you, I don't know, was it always something that was cool and it didn't really change? Um, I mean, of course there were like those local bands that you would, you know, find and you'd be like, oh, wow, like they're playing these gigs. How do you get those gigs? Mm-hmm. And hit them up on MySpace or whatever. And <laughs> yeah, hey, can we play a show with you guys? And then, um, either get like a F you or like a sure, like we'll give this sure. this yeah. young band a, mm-hmm. a shot and, you know, and, um, but we quickly realized that it was like pretty competitive and like mm-hmm. cutthroat, like, you know, you'd show up, you set up your stuff and then they'd be like, Oh yeah, sorry. So sound check took a while. So you only have a 15 minute set now. And we're like, what? Like we'd have brought like, you know, mm-hmm. all these people out and, um, you know, especially luckily we didn't have to do it too much, but, um, you know, the pay to play thing was a disaster and I think it's always been a total racket, you know, where promoters try to get local bands to sell a certain amount of tickets to play a show. And, um, you know, they, they get none of the ticket sale money and it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just kind of a gross way of taking advantage of young musicians. But, um, we dodged most of that, but really like there was some, it was kind of like, baseball you know what i mean like yeah. it was just like bands were just trying to stomp on each other to get the next step mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and we just weren't really about that you know sure. we didn't want to do that so um i wouldn't say we like reinvented it but like 
one thing we did do was got our friends bands together and just told the venues like, Hey, we want our own night. We already got four bands ready to go and we would just start putting on our own shows. Right. And I felt like that was like our way of kind of just keeping it the vibe that we wanted to and having a good time. And like, yeah, if you went over, no worries. Is the club going to kick us out? No, cool. Let's keep, here we go. We're playing till midnight. You know what I mean? Like whatever, Mm -hmm. like nobody's stressing out about, you know, well, my mom's going to be here at seven 30 and I told her that we're playing at seven 30 yeah. and it's like, Oh, sorry, bro. I don't really care about your mom, but your mom should hang out the whole night. Right. Totally. How about that? You yeah. want me a drink? All right. Mom, exactly. come have a drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And, uh, just trying to keep it kind of that, that community aspect that like, yeah. Hey, we're all here to put on a show. We're all here to, you know, express ourselves in one way or another, but like we're here to do it together and support each other and sure. hopefully provide a good time for everybody who's there to see it, you yeah. know? And, I mean, those are the stories of music scenes in the past that like I always gravitated towards when I would you sure. know, have like very brief music history classes or something like that. And I'd be yeah. like, wow, like you hear these stories from bands in the sixties and seventies and you're like, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, mm-hmm. if, if a music community, music scene is really thriving, it brings, it elevates everybody, Yeah, you know, totally. as opposed to you just trying to take down everybody on your way up to the top. You yeah. Know? And, uh, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what our vibe has been. And, and we've continued to push that direction in one way or another, you know, mm-hmm. into adulthood. Yeah. And, uh, now it's just, it's just more sparse. It's like, okay, we'll play fewer shows, but those shows are packed and yeah. awesome and totally, you know, we'll tour and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Has it always been, uh, like do it yourself kind of scene, you know, like produce your own records and set up your own shows. And like, you know, was it, I know you guys were doing that a lot and that was the forefront of how you kind of approached it. Was that something that was common amongst the whole scene or was there still people going to major labels and trying to get deals and stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know, labels have been diminishing for decades, you know, and, um, especially through the, through the nineties and all that and the early two thousands, like, you know, I'm sure you, you love some bands that were indie bands, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that became a whole genre just from people yeah. producing their own records, you know? Totally. Um, and I think Orange County historically has always been kind of forced into that because like we're, you know, in the shadow of LA and, yeah. um, you know, if you think about big Orange County bands, it's like random, totally unconnected, you know, it's like you have no doubt. Yeah. You have like Avenged Sevenfold. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, both bands, I love both those bands, but right. it's just like in terms of like stories of like local bands being like, Oh yeah, we were like buds with no doubt. It's like, or we would just play shows all the time with the bench unfold. It was like, those stories were kind of few and far between at least in our, our narrative when we were growing up, I'm sure, you know, they're obviously a bit older than us. And, um, I'm sure it was different back then, but, um, I think, you know, there's this, this joke, this like saying that like the orange curtain and that's kind of like orange County surrounded by this curtain and people make jokes about it, you know, for politics and wealth and all this kind of stuff. But it's really true for music. You know, it's really hard for bands to, to establish some sort of brand and name and, and notoriety here in orange County and then break out and have any sort of, Mm you know, clout or, or any sort of success, yeah. you know, it's like they have to start from scratch. Like, like most bands, like if you grew up in Oklahoma, 
yeah. moved to LA. It's just like, well, nobody in LA cares about how big you were in Oklahoma. Right. You know? Totally. Yeah. Um, but you know, being so close to LA, I think it's kind of one of those weird things that like the music scene in Orange County has always been kind of stuck because you mm. feel like you're close. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, doing the whole LA record label deal, it's like, well, you might as well just move to LA. And then once you move to LA, you're not really attached to the local music scene here anymore. And sure. so it's always been, I think like Orange County has forced itself into the yeah. independent music scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, of course there's exceptions for that, but when it comes to like live music bands, um, which is my world, I think it's, it's always been kind of, yeah, everybody's doing it, doing it themselves, especially when it comes to like booking shows and, right. um, and to me, that's like the best part, you know, yeah. you put on a show and it crushes and the local venue makes some good money and, you know, the bar did well and everybody had a good time and yeah, that's awesome. Cool, mm-hmm. You know, and, and those are some of the best nights, you know, for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you remember, I guess one of the first tours you went on and sort of the emotions and the mindset that went into that of like, I would imagine you thought about that for a long time growing up, you know, wanting to go on tour and be with your best buds and make music. You know, that's kind of the dream for anyone who's growing up with music. What was that first tour? What did it look like? Did it live up to the expectations that you've had or <laughs> did, was it just a completely different? Yeah. Um, so I guess the, the first, uh, like proper tour, meaning you're far away from home for more than mm-hmm. a couple of days, you know, um, was actually with my band Gardner's logic, which, um, Ian's the primary songwriter and he's a, a original partner in maps. Okay. Um, and he, you know, I'd been pushing him to book a tour. I was like, dude, we're ready to, to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like let's, let's go up to Seattle and back, Yeah. you know, and it's a pretty typical route, you know, you could hit maybe like, uh, of course you get LA, but maybe like San Luis Obispo and then you'll hit like mm-hmm. the Bay area. Sure. And you're like, Oh man, there's a lot of, a lot of land between here and Portland. Yeah. <laughs> you know? for sure. And then, so you drive all the way up to Portland and play around or mm-hmm. you maybe hit Eugene, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, get up to Seattle and turn around and come back or, you know, whatever. But, um, so, he essentially ended up booking this whole tour. I think it was like 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, yeah, we did like slow Bay area, Portland. We did a couple shows. We actually didn't end up going to Seattle. So Portland was like as far North as we went. And then on oh, the way back, we played a couple more shows. I'm trying to remember. Uh, but we, we ended up closing it out in LA, I think. Um, but it was like, it was awesome because he booked everything himself. He had no idea. Mm. Um, you know, what to expect, you know, it's like, how do you ask for money? Uh, I think we like had just turned 21. So we were like stoked to even be able to drink and not be kicked out of the bar. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, we had recruited two other friends to play in the band because Ian and I have always been kind of like the primary, uh, band members because we'll make most of the record together and then we'll right. like have our friends play on the record and mm-hmm. uh the band's always kind of been a rotating cast of players sure but uh we yeah we uh grabbed two two buddies to play vince and um colin um i haven't talked to him in a minute but uh mm. yeah and we're like okay cool so we got our band 
and then <laughs> I was having uh, beers with my cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name's Amber, and I was just like totally joking around. I was like, "Hey, you want to come on tour, sell some merch?" Yeah. And she's just like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Okay." And we had more beers and didn't think twice about it. And then like later the next day, she's like, "Hey, I got the time off." I'm like, no way. Wow. And so before I know it, we (laughs) have my cousin coming with us and she's in a car with a bunch of, you know, dirty dudes. And, (laughs) um, we ended up taking two cars and, you know, you, you had this like idea that you're all in a van together, but we Mm -hmm. started budgeting it out. We're like, there's no way. So we took like Vince's truck that had all the gear in it, but it was like a 94 Tacoma or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, took my, little Toyota hatchback and I had all the luggage. And so we were just like squeezed in there with, I guess, yeah, five of us and try not to lose each other on, on the five, (laughs) you know, and trying to stay tight. And we stayed with a lot of family. Uh, we actually stayed with Gary up in San Luis Obispo because he went to school there. And, um, nice. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a great time because it was like really family oriented, but, uh, I guess I didn't expect it with us cause we're all pretty tight, but we definitely had like stereotypical like band drama, mm. you know, one person feels like they're working more than the other person yeah, or, yeah. you know, this person didn't show as much enthusiasm on stage or uh-huh. the gig wasn't as good as, you know, we thought it was going to be or right. whatever. Um, but aside from that, we had a pretty great, like first tour experience, like mm-hmm. decent turnout. Like we broke even on the tour, financially sure had a lot of support from family like as far as like putting us on their couches and like letting us raid their fridge and um but we did go in january Mm. and um you know you get up to like the shasta area and you start getting into oregon you're like oh wow this is like real weather this isn't huntington beach weather Mm -hmm. and uh then when we got to portland we stayed with some family of ours um that live a little bit northwest of portland up on a on a mountain mm-hmm. and so after one of the gigs we're like cruising through and it's like three in the morning and you know probably shouldn't have been driving through the snow at that mm-hmm. that time of night but it was definitely snowing and we were just like oh man so we put the chains on we lose cell phone service get out of the forest Jeez. and we end up at their driveway which is a mountain you know what i mean like yeah. going up you know this man. hill and i'm like all right guys we're gonna charge it uh-huh. and so i just like <laughs> like full throttle like yeah. trying to get up this mountain and I just go nowhere like car full of people in gear and I just start sliding backwards with my foot like oh, no. pinned on the gas I'm like oh, oh and uh I'm just like what are we gonna do Jeez. you know it's like three in the morning we're like no cell phone service my cousins that own the house are like up on top of the mountain sleeping they have work at like six in the morning I'm like oh there's no way we could sleep out here like we're yeah. gonna freeze our asses off Jeez. and so we drive back into town call them hey man like we're stuck I'm sorry you need to come get us mm-hmm. and our cousin was so rad and he just came down with a smile on his face with his like RAV4 with the studded tires you know yeah. totally no totally. knows how to do it and mm-hmm. um, we ended up parking our cars down at the bottom of the hill and left a lot of the stuff in the cars and then uh luckily we had the next day off nice but we wake up and we totally got snowed in we couldn't even get back down to the bottom of the mountain to get our cars wow so they left for work and Mm -hmm. we just got like to chill on top of this mountain with it snowing and it was just like this like beautiful disaster right where it was just so fun and you know we were just like making grilled cheeses and drinking coffee and just like in this like oregon forest Mm -hmm. 
just like living it, you know, and it's like those, those two are moments are, are what's really special. It's not always about like playing shows to new people. Yeah. It's like you're traveling with people that you love, you know, mm-hmm. and you're experiencing the, the beauties of traveling. Sure. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel like all over the place and, um, it's when things go slightly wrong that you end up in these situations that are so unique mm. and so cool. And like, those are the stories that you really take away. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was a great first tour experience, man. And, um, you know, I've, since then I've been able to, um, tour both as a drummer and an engineer, um, for some like amazing artists and, mm-hmm. um, been able to travel all over. So yeah, it's been fun, man. Nice. Totally. Yeah. How's, uh, I guess now that you're touring with, a little bit more like prominent acts and bigger. How's that, has that changed your view of, you know, music, whether it's touring or whether it's engineering, has that, that feeling that like, I don't know, that genuine authenticity in a way of just like creating on your own and just your buddies and not, you know, this massive thing. Does it feel different to be on stage with like, I don't know, huge prominent act and be on this big thing. Is it cool? Cause you're like, Oh, I always wanted this. Or is it like a uh, music is now starting to look a little different than what it was before? Um, I don't know. I think I've, I've always like had a pretty healthy perspective, um, on kind of like the economics of how people mm. afford <laughs> to go on tour, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, so when people say like, oh, Beyonce costs a million dollars for Coachella, it's R- like, yeah, it's Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you look at you look at her stage setup and you're like, and you know, having done like a lot of live production work, it's like, yeah, well that LED wall costs this much. And right. she has five backup dancers and I know they're on a tour right now. So to keep them on a weekly you know, salary is going to cost this much. And yeah. then she has her music director and she has her full crew. It's a lighting designer, you know, and it's just kind of like, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, this is not like mind blowing to me that like, why somebody mm-hmm. with that costs that amount of money, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think like what the difference is, like, it's just the people, you know, it's, it's, uh, you hear stories about, you know, quote unquote, big artists just being, totally terrible people to their crew or their band or yeah. whatever else. But, um, I've only had a couple of experiences where I've worked with somebody I'd, I didn't like and I just didn't work for him again. Right. And, uh, but I've been very fortunate to, to work with some great artists that I continue to work with. And, um, one of the bigger ones that's been a great opportunity for me is Kamasi Washington. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's like a really unique artist anyways, because, you know, he's crossing all these, boundaries genre wise with jazz and you know growing up playing with Snoop Dogg so he's got this Mm. hip-hop influence but then you know he's got you know a lot of voice and kind of representing African culture and um you know it's just it's it's a totally unique thing it's not just a pop artist Mm -hmm. and um so I did a lot of touring with him the past couple years and um, we got to tour like a co-headlining tour with, uh, Herbie Hancock. So it was like wow. really cool to like, you know, see how Herbie's crew kind of interacts and stuff. But, yeah. um, Kamasi's entire band consists of like, first and foremost, his dad 
and then in his band. Yeah. Wow. And then, um, that's awesome. Jeez. With the exception of like one or two players, um, it's, it's a big band. It, it ranges anywhere from like eight people to like 13 people or like hmm. at Coachella, he had a full choir and stuff, wow. but, um, yeah. the core group of the band, like they all went to high school together and, you know, he's known some of them since he was like three years old and, uh, and it's, okay. it's always been about, you know, his brothers, so to speak. And mm-hmm. they've, they all play on each other's records and they all have their own projects. And, you know, the story goes that they rented a studio to, to make a record together. Their, mm-hmm. their kind of collective is called the West coast get down and they would play like the piano bar in LA. And that was kind of like their, mainstay um Mm -hmm. venue and uh you know they rented out the studio and they just all hammered out each other's records you know like Mm. brandon coleman had a record and tony austin had a record and miles mosley had a record and then uh ronald bernard jr had a record you know so everybody was working on each other's stuff and then ryan porter the trombonis had a record and Mm. then everybody played on kamasi's record yeah and so they were all kind of like nurturing each other's ideas and then you know, Kamasi's one is, is, is the record that like needed to go, yeah. you know, and it got some support. So it was like, I wasn't there from the beginning, but from the stories I've heard, it was just like, here we go. Uh-huh. It's time. Like, right. cool. Now we're getting asked to play these festivals and the festivals have this guarantee. Yeah. And, you know, seeing it from that structure, as opposed to like a pop artist, a pop artist would take a bigger payday Sure. Hire one band member and play the rest of backing tracks. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Keep it slim, less people. Right. As opposed to the Kamasi crew is like, let's bring more people. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's just, that's kind of the vibe, you know, where it's like, he wants more musicians. He wants more musical flavors, you know, coming into the mix mm-hmm. all the time because the music is so, um, I don't really like calling this, but improv, you know, sure. um, it's just off the cuff. It's changing every day. It's alive. It's, yeah you know, growing in front of your eyes, so to speak, which sounds a little dramatic, but it, every time I've, you know, worked on a show, I'm like jaw drop, just like, what yeah. is going on? This is unreal. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's like, you know, touring in that experience was just so cool, you know, cause it's like, I'll be on the bus and like kicking it for <laughs> breakfast, you know, with his dad. And yeah, that's crazy. You tell me a story about how he named Kamasi Kamasi. Uh-huh. And it was like the most hilarious story, you know, it's just right. like so cool. And, um, you know, to kind of be able to work in that environment on like a bigger mm-hmm. scale. Um, but you know, and then I still like the next, I could get home for a couple of weeks and then go out with my buddy, David Rosales and we're in a van together and like yeah. I'm playing drums for him and we're like, you know, driving all through the East coast and it's just sure. like, you know, a totally different vibe, but I'm like just as happy to do mm. dude either way. It's just, it's just scaled up and it's not yeah. like a, more or less meaningful. It's just kind of like, well, yeah, of course we all want to play these gigantic shows, but sure. like it really does take that amount of work and it just takes mm-hmm. that, that passion to do it right and surround yourself with the right people and do it for the right reasons. And I feel like that's what creates the longevity. You know, you want to yeah. have a, a long music career, mm-hmm. whether you're a musician or on the production side or, you know, um, and yeah, I just try to align myself with people that, are kind of practicing those things, you know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe my perspective on touring has changed a little bit through all of it. Like definitely like, Oh wow. Like 
this is the pro move. This is how you do this. You know, as far yeah. as like okay. dealing with the airport or like, mm-hmm. you know, are we touring in China, which is like a, just a mess, you know, yeah. like, so it's like, okay, now I know how to tour in China. Like, right. um, like don't drink the water, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's cool to like learn all of those things, but those are just like learning moments in life. You know, it's not mm-hmm. necessarily like skewing my perspective on how I would, you know, tell my buddies and, and them evils, like how they should tour, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, it's like more so like, Hey, like, cool. So you've been doing it this way. Like I've learned to do things this way on tour. Like this is going to be a lot easier for you. Let's just like mm-hmm. do that and learn together. Sure. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, if anything, like if I'm doing like a bigger gig, I try my best to like bring that experience to all of my other tours. It might not be as mm-hmm. big, but it's like, let's try to make this pro, you yeah, know, totally. And not cut any corners just because we're not getting paid as much, mm-hmm. you know? So it's cool to see the, uh, foundation of Kamasi seems like it's very similar to you and your friends in the sense that, you know, he kind of came up with his friend and he rented a studio out to do the album. And it kind of became something they were all working together in a collaborative sort of environment. Um, was it cool to see that in the sense that he, I don't know, kind of represents something that at the core of your foundation as a musical artist has always been there? Is that why you wanted to work with him? And is that why it was like so comfortable, you know, sitting down having conversations and stuff? Because you saw a little bit of yourself represented in the way that he is making music? Yeah, for sure. I mean, to be honest with you, when I first got asked to do the gig, I like, had no idea who he was, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, it was a friend of mine that I had met through doing corporate gigs, um, Ben Adamson. Um, and he went to college with Kamasi. Oh, and wow. so he was friends okay. with Kamasi and he was there from the beginning. He was their first mm. like tour manager, front of house guy. Um, but Ben plays trumpet, you know, so he kind of, you know, I think the, the people I love working with the music industry, like are always musicians first. And then they happen to be multifaceted, you know? Right. Um, those people I just like align with better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Ben just hit me up. He's like, Hey man, like I need a monitor engineer. Like, mm-hmm. and I guess for those that aren't familiar with the roles on yeah. stage, that's just only handling what the artist is hearing through their monitors on stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, which Kamasi band is big mm-hmm. and it can be very complicated to like, yeah. cause everybody has, completely independent mixes. Mm, um, okay. so, you know, and just like most opportunities in my life, I was like, yeah, man, like, of course, you mm-hmm. know, and I had no idea like what I was getting myself into. And the first gig was, um, camp Flogna. you know, that, I do. that yeah, yeah, festival creator yeah. odd feature. Yeah. So it was like at the Coliseum out in the parking lot and that was um, with Kamasi. He was performing there. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, uh, huh. yeah, he crosses over on a lot of, yeah, cool, no, that's cool. cool I would genres, expect. Yeah. Oh, um, but it basically is like a festival style gig where I had never mixed the band before. Yeah. There's they tour is like a 48 input band, meaning that wow. more or less there's 48 microphones on stage. Yeah. And so wrangling those into Jeez. 13 different mixes on stage is, you know, it can be challenging. Yeah, for sure. And so the way festivals work on it, I'm sure you've been to a festival, but mm-hmm. you know, there's really only like 20, 30 minutes in between bands. Yeah. So, you know, we're building everything backstage and then you have 20 or 30 minutes to get all of that 
working, if and, that. And uh-huh. in reality, you usually have about 15 because it takes 10 minutes to get the other band off stage and yeah. and so on and so forth. So I hop onto my, in my console and I don't have a show file to load up. I don't have anything. I have a paper input list and I'm just trying to like name all the inputs so I mm-hmm. know what's what. Right. And I got totally like sabotaged by the local engineer and he like left the console totally screwed up for me. And oh, I was just no. like, what is happening? It? Just totally losing it. And my buddy Ben came and saved the day. And that's the single, like only time I thought I was going to throw up while working. I wow. was like, okay, just like freaking out. I'm like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And you know, so we go on like 10, 15 minutes late, which is like a big no, no on festivals. Cause yeah. that pushes the rest of the schedule off. And totally. Yeah. So everybody's kind of looking at me like, what's this new guy doing? And, um, and we ended up pulling it off and, I got some comments. I got, I got called back, you know what I mean? And in yeah. hindsight on tour, like some of the guys been like, Oh man, that was your first gig. Like I was going to tell Kamasi never hire you again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow, yeah. And, uh, but that was kind of like my first experience. So like I hadn't really known too much about that narrative and like, I didn't mm-hmm. really realize until you're kind of trapped in a bus with, with somebody for six weeks Yeah, that like, you know, you can watch all the interviews you want and right. you know, whatever. But, um, you know, you start kind of putting the pieces together and it was just like, wow. And I definitely had that moment and I was, you know, calling back home to some of my bands and just telling them like, man, like these guys have such a similar story to us. And like, I really hope that like we could emulate some of the moves they've made and just keep everybody together and bring everybody up. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, the really interesting part aside from that, cause I couldn't just be like, you know what guys, like you're just like me and my band, you know? Yeah, totally. And one of the, the, really interesting things, I guess that it's, it's kind of prevalent now is, um, you know, they're an all black band Mm -hmm. and majority of the time we had an all white crew Mm, Okay, and just experiencing some of those issues that are throughout the country and throughout the world, Mm -hmm. like day to day, like even just, just being next to, you know, my friends that are in this band, like, and it, and seeing like racial issues, like it was just so like mind boggling to me. Like, it's just not something I grew up really like being super aware of. And I think Mm -hmm. I was like pretty ignorant to it just because like my experience, like I was very fortunate to like grow up with a bunch of friends from whose parents came from all over the world, you know? Yeah. And I just was like really naive to it. Mm -hmm. And to like watch it like truly be an issue, you know, like we were on the road when a lot of the, the shootings were happening, mass shootings and stuff like that. And we sure. were, we did a show in um, like the Dayton area, like right after that shooting had happened. And mm-hmm. it was like a super emotional moment, you know, and Kamasi has some songs that like represent, um, you know, if, if we just had some equality in the world and we all just loved each other and, you know, and he has these really beautiful, monologues on what this music means to him and and his take on the world. And it's always really beautiful and pure and, and honest. And it's just like, you know, I had a couple moments where I was like finding myself really aligning with these people and then realizing like, Oh my God, like their experience is something so foreign to me. And I just have nothing but like, you know, sympathy for some of the hardships that they've, you know, experienced and and it's just like it i don't know it just really humbling and like really yeah. checked 
my perspective on a lot of things like in the world, you know? And, um, so I think like pretty quickly, I just like tried to be like just absorbing everything, Mm -hmm. you know, on those tours and just taking it all in, even if it was like hard at times and, um, and really just being appreciative of like these amazing people letting me be a part of their, their music, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, it was a wild experience. Like I don't even really have my head wrapped around it yet. You know what I mean? Still. And like, right. You know, the last tour I did was September. Okay. Um, and it was just like, you know, it's, it's just, the world is a crazy place, man. And, and I, yeah. Yeah. Just some things that, that I experienced like, yeah. Hanging out with, with that crew and stuff. It's just like heavy. Like there's, there's some big issues in the world that really need to be handled, Definitely. you know? And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's a trip. It's definitely a trip. And like they, they are, I think going to go down is, is one of the more unique, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bands and artists like of our, our generation. And sure. Um, yeah, I just feel really like thankful to be able to be a small part of it, you know? Yeah, totally. Do you think that, I guess with the future of music in the sense of, you know, touring and everything with everything happening right now in relevance to, you know, the pandemic and all that, um, as a musician, as a producer, how do you see the future? Do you, are you optimistic about what's going to be happening or do you predict that there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to, you know, impact you directly? Yeah, it's, it's been super tough. I mean, uh, right when everything kind of got shut down, we, we closed the studio up for about two and a half months and we've been, you know, open for a little over a month now mm-hmm. and, um, it's been super busy, like, and it's been great, but luckily our team, uh, has been super respectful and, you know, feels like everybody's clean and safe and knock on wood, haven't had any issues with COVID here. So, um, first and foremost, that's great. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like looking beyond that, like just like, you know, broadening the circle a little bit, so to speak, like I can't go to local shows, Yeah, you know, or I used to mix local shows every Monday at the Wayfair. Mm. you know, mm-hmm. partially cause it was 50 cent wing night, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just like, you know, that's something that like I love. It's like that I need, you know, in my life to like complete, yeah. you know, you know, we all try to be fulfilled sure. every day. Right. Totally. Whether it's like exercise or work or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But like part of me is like, I need to see or play or be a part of live music. Like there's yeah. just something about it that like, I really need that to be fully functioning, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, without that, it's, it's crazy, you know, and I don't really know when it's going to come back. Like I play like a couple drive through shows with my friend David Rosales and, um, those are super fun. And yeah, you know, you see this like totally different perspective of like, everybody's coming out with their lawn chairs and sitting on their lawns and listening right. to the music and, yeah. you know, it's beautiful and it's cool and it's really like community. And then you're like, man, are those the same people that are like, protesting in downtown Huntington about wearing a mask, you know? And it's just like, oh, it's just so crazy to like Uh kind of see the two sides of how people are handling this. Yeah. I mean, there's more than two, but let's be real. There's two big sides. Sure. And, uh, 
Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, like I have clearly have a lot of friends who had all their tours canceled Yeah, and I feel very fortunate that I didn't book any tours private prior, prior mm-hmm. to this because Amy and I are getting married. Yeah. So, you know, made that decision together. It's like, all right, I'm staying off the road. Sure. For the rest of the year. And, um, yeah. So now I'm just like, man, like, so the whole touring industry is screwed. Mm-hmm. Like that's no surprise to anybody. Right. But to me, it's like the economics of it all. Like we haven't all paid for music in a very long time as, yeah. as masses. No, right. For sure. Totally. And so, but there's been no lack of need for recorded music. Mm, okay. Like if anything, more recorded music is being sure. consumed and in- ingested mm-hmm. these days. Um, than ever before, but nobody's paying for it. Yeah. So where does that money come from? It's like sure as hell not coming from record sales. Mm-hmm. So it's been coming from shows, right? From touring, totally. Um, yeah. From placements for a, the new Netflix series. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Sure. Or funny enough, my uh, business partner is a fan of Homeland. I never watched the show. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were having a meeting yesterday, and he was like, "Man, I just saw the season finale of Homeland." And Kamasi's in it. Oh. And I'm like, what? Like, well, that's awesome. I mean, I, I knew that he was in it because I got asked to do the, the shoot, but I, I didn't. Oh, cool. I wasn't yeah. available. But um, it was just funny, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. So, like, that's like a source of revenue for an artist, you know? Right, totally. And, you know, so the people that, you know, pre-COVID have, mm-hmm. have been really successful are, you know, diversified in that way. It's like they have yeah. a... A, either a really lucrative touring career mm-hmm. or maybe a minuscule touring career. And, you know, every one of their songs is in every Geico commercial or something like that, you yeah, know? Okay. Um, because there's still a healthy, you know, amount of money to be made in placements. Right. Um, so <laughs> with the live aspect gone, yeah, I'm like, how are bands and artists supposed to continue making music? Because yeah. recording studios are definitely not free. Right. You know, you hear stories of Billie Eilish making her record with her brother in their bedroom. Yeah. And that is totally doable, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're incredibly talented people. Sure. And that's, that's really what made that record incredible. It wasn't the fact that they recorded in their bedroom. Yeah. And, um, so studios, like, even though a lot of major studios have been closing down, like, there's still a huge need. You know what I mean? Like take mm-hmm. Kamasi for instance, like there's yeah. no way that, you know, they're not recording in some sort of studio environment. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I, I, I love seeing a thriving interest in vinyl. I think yeah. that's great. Totally. I think, uh-huh. um, it's a total bitch to tour with, by the way, cause it's heavy as hell. Yeah. I'm sure it's <laughs> How not many, fun you know, records I've, you know, flung into the trailer, just yeah, like, geez. you know, this it's cause you have to carry a lot of stock because that's your money maker on a merch, you know, yeah, for but, sure. uh, nobody's making money on merch anymore unless it's online. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it's, I kind of hope that this swings just cause I feel like, you know, economic trends kind of just with or without a, a lot of intention is kind of have to swing to balance stuff out because yeah. it's just, you know, mm-hmm the demand and we got to fulfill it. And, sure. uh, so I hope that it kind of swings back into, you know, records actually making money 
because like that's the only way that we're going to be able to survive to get back to yeah a Foo Fighters show at Wembley. Right. You totally. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like right now, like nobody can predict when that's going to be all right yeah. or when Coachella is going to be all right, you know? Right. Totally. Like Coachella could have happened and they put, I would have had thousands of people show up that are, in my opinion, crazy and yeah. <laughs> would all get sick and, right. and whatever else. Um, but it's like that the numbers just won't be there, you know? And it's, yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you do it? I mean, it's, it slows down the, the food service at these places. It slows down mm-hmm. the alcohol service. It slows down this, slows down that. No matter how many precautions you take, you know, um, I have been seeing some like drive, drive-in shows, mm-hmm. um, which seems awesome. Yeah. But there's still a hundred something people working on the stage, you know, at the crew and right. it's not, statistically, you know, mm-hmm. foolproof or anything like that. People are still putting themselves at risk. And yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's great. I think it's, but I think that narrative is what's more important. It's not really that anybody's actually making w- money that they were pre COVID. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if Toby Keith is doing some drive through show out in the Midwest or something like that. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's not coming anywhere near what, what his shows were prior. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that, the music industry and you know just the economy as it pertains to our world just kind of swings back into record sales because like i said i highly doubt anybody would argue that they don't want new music coming out yeah especially now right you know for sure like i mean first like couple weeks of quarantine like we burned through a bunch of records yeah for sure thanks to you and uh and we're just like, man, like, this is so beautiful. Like, you know, and I was really, that's where I was kind of forming my hopefulness, you know, or mm. just like, I really hope that people have had a similar experience to us yeah. and like dug up a bunch of old vinyl and, you know, like I totally forgot that I love Aerosmith's Toys and Attic. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I was like, sure. oh man, this record is great. What I put on my Spotify playlist? Probably not. But yeah. like when I plop the vinyl down, we're cooking dinner. Right. Nothing like it, you know? It's a whole and, different concept. Yeah. So I'm really hoping that, that that continues to trend upward and, mm-hmm. um, there'll be some support there, but otherwise, like, I don't really know, like how all of this is gonna yeah, play out, you know, like sure. I have tickets to shows that I was just going to go to for fun, like Delta spirit. Yeah. And I just got an email yesterday. It's getting scheduled, you know, rescheduled to 2021, which like most shows, but right. it's like, is it like, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Right. Like nobody knows. And everything's so unpredictable. Yeah. And so mm. trying to stay optimistic, you know, and yeah. Um, but yeah. Has, uh, you've seen, I guess, I don't know, like the different developments of music as far as like how people consume it and how, I mean, Spotify, you know, and I mean, iTunes to an extent, iTunes initially when it came out kind of, revolutionized the whole like 99 cent and people bought songs instead of albums, which was revolutionary in that sense. But then Spotify now it's like, you know, they, they flipped it all. And I think the way that they've done it is, you know, drastically in a, you know, in my opinion, in a negative way impacted the whole music industry. And there's probably going to be, you know, a number of major record labels that have had such a big influence in the history of music that are, you know, potentially going to go down because of companies like Spotify, companies that are essentially turning music into digital and making it where, 
it doesn't have the same appeal as a physical, you know, album. Yeah, it's just it's hard to place value on what people see as just like ones and zeros. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. An MP3 file is just it's not tangible, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and it's I think like the movie industry has oh yeah kind of had had the last stand. You know what I mean? Where they mm-hmm. like nobody was getting free streaming but now netflix like you just get whatever you want you know within reason obviously but um you know and i think it's it's a similar issue but i think that the the economics of it just needs they need to adapt you know um and grow like because we're gluttonous beings you know like we're going to keep on consuming more and more and our brains are are developing and evolving into something that needs more stimulation and Mm -hmm. And for me, it's a lot of music, a lot of audio. I love podcasts, you know, I love yeah. all this stuff, but it's just like, are I pay for a podcast? No. No. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, totally. But it's like, okay, so how do podcasts make money? It's like ads. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to start putting ads in between records. You know what right. I mean? And like, I know Spotify Jeez. does that, I but like, I have a you know, premium account. Yeah. But, um, but even then it's just like, you know, that ad money isn't going back to the artist. Totally. You know, and no, I feel like that's sure. where like podcasts are really cool. Like, mm. like Joe Rogan is like an insane example. Like just yeah. listen to him talk about it. He's like, yeah, man, it's great. Like, and I think I Googled it. Like he makes like 30 grand an episode or something crazy. I'm sure you know? it's so much money. And yeah. it's like, and he just started doing it. It was like the yeah. last like pure, uh, development of like content. You know what I mean? That was yeah. lucrative independently totally. mm-hmm. that like, at least I've experienced. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. We we'll figure something out. Yeah, like because there's no sure. way that you know because we we value musicians, we value artists. You know what yeah, I mean? Like no, hundred percent. Like Prince was like this, you know, untouchable figure that yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. That like, and it's like we still hold artists and musicians and mm-hmm. um, you know, up to that level. Like they're celebrities. You know, they're yeah. they're gods. They're totally you know mm-hmm. and um. I don't personally really strive to like be any of that, but yeah. you know, being a part of it and like, and really trying to support and value what this brings to the world is mm-hmm. huge, you sure. know? Um, so I think people are going to figure, figure out a way to mm-hmm. support it one way or another, you yeah. know, cause people were definitely going to a lot of shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. Which was beautiful because it, that was a swing too. You know what I mean? When, when CDs were booming, mm-hmm. it's like the touring thing wasn't nearly where it is now. Yeah. Or, okay. Or it was now. For sure. Yeah. You know, or like look at the production when it comes to shows, like, like the Beyonce stage thing. Yeah. Like I actually totally on accident ended up helping with the, uh, Tupac projection for Coachella that year. Oh shit. And <laughs> I had no idea cool. that I was yeah. doing it. But and I'm just like, what? Like this is what we're doing now? Yeah. Like, like this is insane. Right. You know? Jeez. And it's like the only way that I was able to get to that point was because people placed value and spent money mm-hmm. on live shows and live entertainment. Yeah. And that's how I was able to push into this insane you know, spectacle, like mm-hmm. shows have never been more amazing than they have been. And yeah. And you know, the past 10 years. Right. And, um, so we still have the technology. Obviously we still have the, mm-hmm. the means to do it. It's just that we can't right now. Yeah. You know, so we'll see. Um, we'll see. 
but it's, it's interesting for all of us, I think. Yeah, definitely. Nice, man. Well, as we wrap up, I just want to know, like, I don't know, I guess your, your plans of kind of where you want to go. And then also, I don't know, I try to view at least the people that I've been talking to, I've been like a lot more in the beginning of their careers and starting things. Um, so I often ask them like, Hey, you know, what's like a cool benchmark that, you know, once you hit that, you're going to be super stoked, you know, uh, for you, obviously you've hit a few benchmarks along the way and Mm -hmm. you've made these accomplishments that when you were young and wanting to get into music, you'd probably be super stoked that you're sitting in your own studio right now and, you know, done all the cool things that you've done. Um, yeah, I guess what what's left? What's the future look and what do you what do you want to accomplish? Um I mean I just want to make like records for the rest of my life and, and okay. I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. I mean, really the goal would be to um you know, there still are record budgets out there and um mm-hmm. you know, I would hope that I'd be able to work with a band that I truly care about that's getting financial support from somebody is not them. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, totally. And having the freedom to really, um, you know, dive deep into a record because I try my best not to make money and time too much of an influence, but mm-hmm. you know, it's all within reason. I can't, I can't be working till two in the morning every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Beating a record to death for mm-hmm. barely enough money to pay my rent. And then yeah. there's no time left in the month to take any other gigs. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, just to have that freedom, you know, to, to maybe get like a, you know, like a modest, you know, record budget from, you know, label or, or whatever, um, publishing company or something like that. And, you know, to be able to, to work on some bands locally, especially that, that I love. Um, sure. And I mean, other than that, like, I think my projects like that I'm a part of, um, you know, we're pretty hard set on the indie, move, you know, yeah, and, uh, yeah, making the, the moves to not be under the thumb of a, of a traditional label. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after that, like I would love to, uh, to tour properly and, and everything with, with my bands and be yeah. a musician, uh, you know, on some of those bigger stages that I've been an engineer on. Sure. Um, yeah. And just, you know, have a healthy, sustainable music career and still be able to play drums when I want to and engineer a live show when I want to and, yeah. and then, you know, make a record and, mm-hmm. you know, and luckily I have like an amazing supportive fiance and we have a kid on the way. And, um, you know, it's like always been a half of a joke, but probably a reality. It's just like family's going on the road. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and cool. we love traveling and, yeah. you know, so that'd be great. Like, that'd be so cool. And, you know, I just hope to, uh, to remain like relevant uh, as an individual that could help people with their music, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure I'll create some more of my own, you know, but I just, I'm fully committed to just, just being that person that could help <laughs> other yeah. people with their music Thanks, and just man. be a part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just so amazing and it's, there's nothing like it. And it's been around, you know, since the beginning of time with humanity and, yeah. you know, it's something that, that I think is really uniquely human and, and mm-hmm. beautiful. And, um, so yeah, I just want to, just want to keep on keeping on, yeah, you know, definitely. And, um, yeah. Sweet, man. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, you have any like links or anything you have people want 
to like reach out, listen to some of your music or connect with you? Uh, yeah. Um, the studio website is recordatmaps.com. Um, got a couple of videos with some of my bands that are in the studio, but, um, definitely check out some of my bands. Um, big monster is one of them. Gardner's logic is another one. And then shape Pataki. Cool. It's another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are my three, you know, bands that I, I try to write and produce with and, mm-hmm. um, play drums in. And so, yeah, we're, we're all three of us are getting ready to release records whenever nice. <laughs> is, yeah. is time, you know, and, and trying to do it properly and try to kind of take it to the next step, you know, and not just release it on Spotify and then play another show and then, yeah. you know, so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, just hoping to, you know, get some love there and, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, good old Instagrams is good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Cool, man. Perfect. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, bud. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Double Life. Special thank you to Mike Wilson and his wonderful fiance, Amy Ford. Thank you to everyone who is subscribing and tuning in. Make sure to head to thedoublelifepod.com for more information. Tell your friends, subscribe, spread the love. Have a good weekend. Adios.